Welcome to the Business Disrupted Podcast, brought to you by Samsung. I'm your host, Eric Qualman, and today our guests are here to offer you fresh perspectives on the future of IT and IT leadership. Throughout this series, we've explored how digital transformation has made IT the center of conversations around business growth, security, and innovation. So how do we all become great leaders and change agents in our organizations? And how do we navigate the impact that digital transformation is having on all aspects of the company culture and operations? These are the areas we will explore with today's guests. I'm joined today by Justin Menon, CIO and CDO of CompuCom, a provider of managed digital workplace services. Justin is recognized as a digital thought leader in the areas of mobile, analytics, robotic process automation, machine learning, and omnichannel. He has over 19 years of IT experience and leadership positions across industries, including CPG, high tech, marketing, telecom, medical devices, manufacturing, and e-commerce. He is also a regular speaker at events around the world focused on the transformation of IT. We're also joined by a good friend of Business Disrupted, Maribel Lopez. Maribel is founder and principal analyst at Lopez Research. You may have heard her previously on our podcast talking about the future of IoT. She is a highly respected speaker and business advisor on digital transformation. Maribel is also the author of the book, Right Time Experiences, and co-founder of the Emerging Technology Research Council. What I want to start off with is, what does digital transformation mean to you? Digital transformation is leveraging digital solutions that enable new types of innovation to drive change in business models, cultural barriers, and consumption. My team uh, is helping our clients transform through design thinking, where we leverage empathy uh, to rapidly ideate and prototype to solve business opportunities. Digital transformation is an interesting topic. We've been doing it for a long time, uh, and it's always been digital transformation. It just changes from year to year, I think, based on technology. One thing that digital transformation doesn't have to be is ridiculously, complexly innovative. So I think when people think of digital transformation, they think of ripping everything out and starting everything anew, when really digital transformation is more a journey of taking your maybe paper processes and making them electronic, taking something that was complex and making it a bit simpler and easier. You know, when we think about the move to mobile, just the fact that we tried to get everything to be one or two clicks instead of eight clicks is really an element of digital transformation. And it doesn't mean that you had to reinvent the entire company to do it. So that's my only hang up on digital transformation concept. But I just think it's about the constant improvement of your business processes by leveraging digital technology and using that opportunity to rethink how you're doing things and make them better. And along those lines, what does the mobile economy mean for your business? And what does it mean as a whole for IT leaders? Well, the mobile economy has dramatically changed how customers and employees consume and leverage technology. Uh, mobile, digital first, or table stakes in IT managed services industry. And my customers, both external and internal, not only expect it, but they expect that we bring thought leadership to the table in this area. For IT leaders, you know, they need to embrace mobility and better understand how to unleash the power of the mobile economy for their customers. Mobile solutions can no longer be an afterthought. To me, the mobile economy is everything right now. In 2018, you wouldn't design anything that couldn't be used on some mobile platform. So the mobile economy actually is the economy. But what it means for IT leaders is that there are obviously nuances between designing things for PCs versus designing things for mobile. You have to be much more streamlined, much more 
directive. You use different interfaces. You use touch. You might use voice. Uh, The mobile economy gives you the ability to leverage things you didn't have before in PCs. You have cameras, you have GPS, you have accelerometer, and all those things really change your applications in a meaningful way. So that's what the mobile economy brings to you. It brings context, it brings anywhere, everywhere access to services, and it brings a level of personalization that we didn't have in the past because that mobile device is definitively, and you know, in my case, it's Maribel's mobile device with her apps and her services and how she likes to use it and her setup. So I think this combination of really knowing who you are because it's that person's device versus a shared PC device layers personalization. But then I think there's all this new information and new capability that you have by moving to mobile that you didn't have to PC. And that's where the mobile aspect of the economy comes in. How do you envision the structure of IT within the organization evolving as digital transformation becomes an ongoing part of the business roadmap? IT organizational structures will continue to evolve, but those that will truly see success in digital business transformation are the ones that are going to break the IT barriers and set themselves up for rapid ideation, prototyping, and cultures of innovation. We've already started to see centers of excellence formed around mobility, DevOps, and that's going to continue to progress. But in many ways, we'll see the more progressive IT organizations become the business itself, developing new products and new revenue streams. The role of IT continues to evolve in digital transformation in in several ways. One, IT, instead of just running the business and keeping the lights on, is actually an active member in driving digital transformation. IT has to create the foundation for line of business people to do their jobs. And I think that means that IT and line of business aren't as separated as they used to be in the past. They have to interact more. We've always talked about this, but now I think there's a literal imperative for line of business managers to deal with IT so that they can create the products and services that they want so they have the back-end systems that they need to make these new mobile-first experiences, cloud-first experiences happen. So that's very different. And I think that means that IT has to be organized in such a way that they are empowered to work with a line of business execs. They also have to work with senior leadership to figure out what's going to move the needle for the business and prioritize their IT projects based on that. So it's not just about keeping the lights on projects. It's about an integration of, yes, we need to maintain, but we also need to do things that are going to push the business forward and which of these potentially innovative projects are going to be the ones that we start with first. And I love that, talking about being progressive. And I know in your career, you've been one of those pioneers, one of those thought leaders that's out there being progressive. How do you leverage that? Because a lot of IT organizations, a lot of times what they're doing is mainly preventative, which is important. But how do you create new business opportunities? I think there's always been a push-pull between maintenance and innovation. So when I'm talking to IT leaders now, I think that one thing that's incredibly important is looking at what the key KPIs are for the business and trying to match the innovative projects to something that would impact that key KPI. Every year, a company has something they're really trying to accomplish. One year, it might be something like improving their net promoter score and customer satisfaction. Uh, That could mean things like you want to do contact center-related projects or you want to change your order workflow. So finding something that 
could be an innovative way of doing things that matches a key KPI for the organization. In other cases, it's to reduce costs so that you can build another product line. So what could we work on this year that could be creative, reduce costs, but still give us some opportunity to leverage something new? So I always say tie back to a KPI of something that's going on in the organization. Well, in our business, we're helping our customers automate at very high levels so that they can focus their time and their dollars on new business opportunities and capabilities. Uh, it's really a core need for CIOs to ensure that their organizations are stable, secure, operational, and that's not ever going to go away. Uh, but the expectations for CIOs have really evolved, uh, where now they're expected to focus a significant amount of their time on driving new business capabilities. You know, technology has matured so rapidly, and spaces such as artificial intelligence, robotic process automation, business process automation, that it's really a necessity that CIOs leverage significant automation just to remain competitive. We're doing the same in our business. And then what advice would you give our IT listeners who find themselves in a company culture that promotes prevention and maintenance at the cost of innovation? Uh, adopt automation solutions, you know, robotic process automation, business process automation, and leverage managed service providers for the operational aspects of the business where appropriate. Uh, innovation can start very small. It doesn't have to be an entirely new business model or radically new approach. To help change the culture, start with those small wins and build on progress. Uh, make sure that everyone in the organization is empowered to drive change. And finally, look for gaps across the business and help solve for them. Don't wait for someone to come to you. It's going to be too late. You have to proactively engage. So if you're in a very risk-adverse or very status quo organization, there's always this tension to how do you introduce innovation. And I find one of the best ways to introduce innovation is to highlight what not best in industry but best in class are doing to change their business models by providing examples of what other people have done that's been successful or that appears to be being successful. It actually showcases that you know, you're looking at the overall industry, but that it's not as risky a value proposition. And then in fact, at some point, this will be status quo. So you need to be moving forward at the pace of the best in class industries. You might not need to do everything right away, but directionally you need to be moving there. So I find the best way to help management that is not innovative think about innovation is to show what other companies have done, how it's been successful, and then say, what aspects of that can we take and apply to our business? And normally people don't want to be laggards. They just don't want to be too edgy. They want to know that something has a good chance of working or that something's desirable. And I think a good way of doing that is showing what others have done. In terms of mobile innovation, what does that mean to you? Uh, mobile innovation to me is leveraging next generation technologies to enhance the mobile experience. Uh, it can take many forms, leveraging advanced analytics to personalize the experience, intelligent automation, you know, next generation self-service, you know, new cross-platform solutions, seamless streaming is very important. All of these are focused on taking the experience to a much higher level. To me, mobile innovation has a couple of different components. One, I think mobile brings a concept of simplicity and a clean user experience to the forefront. So we've had a lot of complex PC systems that have been built over 10, 15, 20 years with lots of menu structures and lots of different ways of doing things and every feature but the kitchen sink put in there. I think when we move to mobile, there's definitely a feeling of what's important? What would somebody want to do in that moment of time 
that mobile can give to them. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I think is interesting about mobile innovation is it gives us features and functions that we didn't have in the past. These little mini computers have so many sensors on them that we can tap into that didn't exist before. So if you're in field service, you can now do image capture when you're out at a site of here's what I prepared, here's what it looked like before, here's what it looks like now. You can capture signatures electronically without having paper. You can do GPS tagging that basically says this person walked into this building at this time so you know when the repair started, you know when the repair stopped. So there's lots of things you can do by tapping into GPS time, image capture, facial recognition, biometric security, you know, all these things weren't really very accessible in a PC domain. So there's a lot of innovation you can do in applications as a result of having all these new functions. And I know we always love business cases. Our listeners want to know, what do you see out there in the landscape as a thought leader? You're in it day to day. You see this broadly, globally. You know, what is some of the best implementation that you've observed as it relates to mobile technology? Well, if I look at my own business, uh, the best use case that we've deployed uh, is just in the last year, we launched our CompuCom support mobile platform. You know, this solution allows our customers to seamlessly resolve their issues with intelligent self-service, advanced knowledge management, you know, chat with a tech support agent, dispatch a tech if needed, you know, streamlined help desk, ticket creation, etc. Yeah, this has really changed the game for tech support, uh, where we see our users are much happier, they're more productive, and our customers, they get a lower cost of support. You know, I would say there isn't one best use case of mobile. I would say that in every industry anywhere across the world, you could find an amazing way to use mobile. I've seen mobile be used to figure out if it's a counterfeit vaccine in an emerging market. I've seen mobile be used to help a customer find products within a store more easily. I've seen mobile be used to replace maps for flight attendants and allow baggage handlers and parts people to figure out where things are at airports. Every industry has a set of use cases that mobile could change. So what I look for is how did we change the process as a result of mobile? Did we make it so that it has fewer steps in it and we can get to the information faster? One of the best use cases of mobility now is instead of thinking of, you know, the PC world, you go to an app and you'd get a number and then you go to another app and you get a different number. And then you'd think about the numbers and maybe multiply them in your head and you'd have the answer. I think when we start designing mobile workflows, we're basically taking information and data from different applications. We're surfacing it all in one screen and we're giving people what I call right time experiences, you know, right information, right time, a person's device of choice. And that, to me, is the power of mobile innovation, that you can streamline someone's process, make it very fast, give them faster access to information, maybe even do some of the analytics on that information and surface an answer so that they don't have to go through the process of that manual thinking around it. So there's a lot of process improvement that I think mobile can bring. How do you prepare your own business to embrace that innovation? And then how do you advise our listeners to do the same? 
Yeah, we organized in a mobile center of excellence uh, with a team that has end-to-end responsibilities around mobility for both our internal customers and our external customers. Yeah, this team's structured really as a DevOps organization and leverages our design thinking process to help customers rapidly ideate, prototype, and then really fully scale uh, development and deployment. Uh, It's important for, you know, in in the mobile space to bring together the right set of digital skill sets, a proper balance of design user experience, prototyping, mobile development, all important in the mobile space. You know, I think if you went back three years ago, five years ago, there was a viewpoint of, yes, I'll get to mobile. I think now everybody wants to be mobile because of the level of engagement that both customers and employees have with mobile. So I don't think you necessarily need to convince IT leaders that they need to go mobile. I think what you have to do is provide guidance on What does it mean to be mobile? Because it is a bit different than what it means to have a PC. Uh, It means that you might have to work in environments that are disconnected. Will your applications and services still work if someone's in a basement? That's important. So that means you have to deal with the fact of how much offline storage an application has. Uh, It means that you have to think differently about how I could leverage location in an application and make someone's process of going through their day or going through my store or getting through a hospital better as a result of having this device. So it's more about how do we rethink an experience in a world that is mostly connected, in a world where you have a device that can take your information with you, and in a world where you are accustomed to either touching or speaking or having extremely clean, fast access to information. And that's what I think is the challenge for mobility. You know, we have multiple operating systems people are looking at. We have multiple sizes of devices. It could be a few inches to almost a foot. So creating experiences that can seamlessly move across that type of different device form factor with different input mechanisms. These are the challenges of moving mobile. So people want to move mobile. The, the question is just like, how do I do it in a way that is scalable? And how do I do it in a way that makes the business better instead of makes it a poor user experience that no one wants to use? What would you say are the critical components of a successful overall digital innovation strategy? We break down digital innovation into two key focus areas. First is our design thinking practice, where we take an empathetic view to a business opportunity, build personas, journey maps, rapidly ideate, and test and learn through prototypes. This approach lends itself very well to unlocking new ideas and driving digital innovation. And then second, we look at developing an overall digital innovation roadmap where we take a broader set of business goals and objectives and lay out a roadmap to achieve those goals. I think the successful components of a digital innovation strategy is, first, it it has to do something that needs to be done. So a lot of times, you know, we start with a process of let's do something innovative that we think is cool, as opposed to what is the problem in someone's day that we're trying to solve? Are we trying to take calls out of the contact center? Are we trying to make sure that the basket size is increased at a retail store? Are we trying to make sure that the person that's standing in front of a piece of equipment equipment knows what it is and how to fix it. So it's basically like, what's the key problem that we're trying to solve? And a lot of times you can do that by doing this day in the life exercise of walking through with your customers or walking through with your employees and seeing where they get hung up. That's the first thing, figuring out what you're trying to do. The second thing is once you've figured out what you're trying to do, you need to match the right technologies to that. 
So you've picked a mobile device. Maybe you pick a rugged device because of the nature of the worker that's using it. Maybe you pick a sleeker, more streamlined device. So if you pick the device, once you've done all that and you've figured out the use case, then you have to figure out how do I build apps? How do I scale the applications? How do I connect to the backend data sources? And it's only when you figured out the first thing that you can then go back and figure out what technology makes sense for that. And then the third, which I think is frequently overlooked, is who's going to drive the evangelism of this. Do you have somebody in the line of business that really wants this, that is going to tell people about it, that's going to get people on board with it? Do you have the top-line executive support to do continuous funding? You're going to need to do device refresh. You're going to need to do application modifications and updates. And if you don't set up this group of people that are passionate about what you're trying to do, then they might embrace it for a little bit and then forget about it. Or they may never adopt it and you've built something that's beautiful that no one uses. So you have to get to that point where people People are engaged and invested in it. So those are three things that I think are critical in making digital innovations happen. Several of our guests have indicated a major pitfall or a major gotcha is businesses trying to adopt technology without a clear business case or application. And we'll continue to fall into that abyss, for lack of a better term. But is there a way we can reverse engineer for this? How do we actually go about identifying an application or a technology for our business within the company? So when organizations are looking at, say, mobile enablement, one of the things that happens is you build, say, one, two, three apps. All of a sudden, you have a pipeline of 300 experiences that people want tomorrow. And you find yourself in the unenviable position of selecting how that would work. And I think in order to make that work, you have to go back and look at what are the key KPIs of the company? Do any of these actually fit that agenda? Are they going to move the needle on that? Second, what kind of executive support do they have? Because it could be something that somebody really wants. And a lot of times we go with the person that screams the loudest as opposed to what's going to impact the business most. And then third, who has funding? It's one thing to design something, but you have to actually think of the maintenance and the updates that are going to happen as a result of that. So if you're looking at, does it impact the key KPIs of the organization? Is it something that people have asked you for that would be applicable across more than one or two groups or that you could have some good chance of utilization? And then third, is it going to have the funding to continue to be a viable model or the people that are going to continue to help you refine it? Because you introduce something, you need feedback, you need to do iterations. It's not a one and done. You are in a continuous evolution and improvement cycle. So you have to have the partners in the business that want to do that. What are some of the key components and what are the, some of the advice you'd give to sell an idea within an organization? Uh, so key is alignment with business leaders within the organization. You know, we like to use a data-driven approach, and we talked about our iterative approach already, but combined together, that allows us to gain stakeholder buy-in very early in the process, uh, where then we're jointly presenting ideas. It's not technology services just coming forward with ideas. It's a joint business technology services group. So as a technology company, you know, our executive leadership is obviously very engaged in determining our technology roadmap, and we have a regular cadence. But whether it's a technology company or not, you know, every company should be focused on that because technology is at the core of really driving innovation for almost every industry. And since technology is at the core for driving any type of innovation, there's a war on talent out there today. How do you stay on top of that? How do you make sure you recruit the best? What are some advice, tips when it comes to recruiting talent? Putting a winning team together has to be top priority, and it's often not handled effectively. 
Uh, there's a talent war, as you discussed, uh, with the highest demand positions, and that's not going to change. So what I recommend is you insource where you can provide a competitive differentiation, but then leverage managed service providers or other partners, specifically in the areas that are commoditized or where you can't find the right skill set in your local market. I think one of the issues with talent gaps is that we always think we're going to fill it with new people instead of with existing people. So one of the things that we as organizations need to think about is what are we going to do for education and what type of time are we going to carve out for existing people to learn new skills? So I think that's one thing. In lieu of that or in addition to that, I think the other thing that helps fill the talent gap is a short-term working with some kind of systems integrator or outsourcer and figuring out what they do and how they do it and seeing them run a process for you can actually educate you in terms of how you should do it yourself. So we've seen both of those basically re-educating the workforce, uh, using outsourcers. Occasionally, we've even seen companies go through the whole, uh, let's do a temp interning program with people that are learning these skills. And there can be a nice exchange and sharing there. The only challenge around that is making sure that when someone's in your company, if they have access to sensitive information, you have to really think about how that process and structure might work. But if they don't, then there's a real opportunity for you to gain some insight there. I've seen a lot of companies start to look at new online learning management software and new courses to really up-level the skills within their existing IT talent pool. And that set of IT talent pool does want to up-level their skills. It's actually an opportunity to enhance retention. What does a digital workplace of the future, let's say 10 years from now, look like? Is it so different from today? Is it entirely mobile, entirely virtual? What does it exactly look like? Yeah, we work with both on-premise and virtual customers, and I don't see buildings going away. They're just going to change. Right. And our building is a glimpse into the future. You know, I'm sure we're going to have rapid evolution of the technology in the IoT and collaboration space. But yeah, as you walk into our building, the focus is on providing a connected, seamless experience for our employees and our guests, our customers. So I think you'll see hybrid environments set up with more open collaborative areas, quiet areas, and also meeting spaces where you have both mobile employees as well as on-premise employees that can interact with uh, your customer base. I think the digital workplace of the future will continue to be an evolution of what we have today with obviously some new things that are always added. So I think that there's always room for people to come together and work together in a physical space. And I think the physical space has changed dramatically with lots of digital screens all around with the ability to have video, basically from small factors to large form factors, a lot of discussion about how we integrate voice commands into an environment. But I also think we have an opportunity to have new experiences where people are in different places, but they feel like they're in the same place because they're using things such as virtual reality to have group meetings, to do design sessions on products, or combining a combination of screens and VR, or what they're calling mixed reality now, where you might see digital overlays. Uh, So you could be doing different collaboration styles as a result of that. So I think we see different shapes into the workspace. We see the continual evolution of people working remotely, people hot desking. Um, A gig economy emerges where it might be that 25% of the workforce that you're dealing with is not 
owned or managed by you, they basically come and go and you have to onboard them and then basically take away access to that data as they leave. So these are really big changes that companies are dealing with. Everything from what you do with your real estate and office furniture and layout to the types of devices that you're going to give your employees to the concept of allowing other employees access to your systems in a secure way using their devices of choice, but making sure your content is preserved and secure and can basically fade away uh, when they don't need it. So huge changes, but I think all very good changes that allow us to work with the talent where they are and make that an experience that is very mobile-driven, very data-driven, and very seamless in terms of user experience. So I was really looking forward to this interview because I was fortunate to go visit the CompuCon brand new facility in Charlotte and have Justin walk me through it. It's amazing. One thing that blew me away when I walked in, not to steal Justin's thunder, but when I walked into the building, there is no light switch. There isn't one light switch in the entire building. And the first episode that we had here for this podcast was talking about the workplace of the future. And I kind of saw the future in Charlotte. So I'd love to know from your opinion, just walk me through some of the exciting things that are happening today at that particular building. Yeah, you know, we, we wanted to put together the digital building of the future, right? You know, we, we provide digital workplace services for our customers, and we said, let's, let's use this opportunity as we're establishing our new headquarters to build you know, a showcase for our customers. So there, you know, we opened up in uh, January, and, and it really is a glimpse into the future. Yeah, the building is entirely digital. The only building uh, that we understand globally is 100% lit on the interior over power over Ethernet. We have advanced IoT systems throughout driving the operations. There's sensors, there's advanced analytics uh, that allow us to understand the optimal environment, where people are in the building, what are they leveraging, what, what is driving productivity? Uh, we have collaboration units uh, where anywhere in the building you can walk up. It automatically knows who you are and it allows you to connect. This is really where digital buildings are going. Um, and, and that's an area that you know, obviously we provide you know, services. But yeah, anybody wants to come down and check our, our facility uh, south of Charlotte, you know, let us know. Another thing that was really interesting to me, correct if I'm wrong, Justin, is that there are no badges. So there's no more badging in that it's your phone that you utilize because when you think about it, we ask audiences around the world is if you're five minutes from your house and you forgot your phone, you're going to go back and get it. But we forget our work badges all the time. So uh, if you don't mind, Justin, one, is that true that there are no badges or soon there will be no badges that it's only your mobile device that checks you into the office? Yeah, that's correct. Unless we're contractually obligated for a particular customer to have a badge, you know, the mobile device will be the badge for all of our employees. You know, when you come in, you're going to have a, a digital kiosk there. So a guest, you know, you'll, you'll get access to uh, your credentials. Uh, you'll get access to the collaboration systems, a map of the facility, you know, all digitally on your device. Uh, so the goal for us is that everything is extremely simple. You know, for our users, our associates, and our guests. You know, if you have to write instructions down on how to use something, it's already too complicated. And then looking ahead, what are critical technology areas that you're excited about investing in today? Are there some that might not be so obvious for our listeners? So one, digital buildings, you know, buildings that are IoT-enabled, collaboration-focused. That's the key. It's not only driving cost out, and cost efficiencies, but it's really driving a, a new level of productivity. So the technology is there. 
Uh, it, it's 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 ready to be adopted, and we're we're deploying this with customers. Yeah, the second is intelligent automation, and this is another space you know, that has had significant maturity over the years. So artificial intelligence, robotic process automation, business process automation, they all sound like things of the future, but they are are, are now, right? And this is uh, at a point where CIOs and IT organizations that are not adopting uh, advanced automation and intelligent automation, they're putting themselves at a significant disadvantage against their competition. And then in terms of mobile AR, VR, what are you most excited about from a business standpoint? Well, I think uh, in the mobile space, augmented reality has the potential to completely disrupt uh, the entire business model. You know, applications, you know, I came from retail before, and the purchasing process, uh, you know, training of skilled workforces, you know, layering advanced analytics onto persona-based you know, solutions. The list goes really on and on and on. Uh, AR will change the game, uh, and, and platforms such as the Samsung platform allow integrators, developers to leverage and to develop next-generation solutions. I think businesses struggle with what AR, VR looks for them now. But if we look into the future, you can start to see a world where AR and VR play a critical part in helping you see information, help you manipulate images to do things such as design, help you understand information in a more rapid way. You can actually assess and understand information very quickly visually, much more so than other things such as, say, reading. And if you have the opportunity to digitally overlay information, your brain can actually pull that together very rapidly and make decisions based on it. And then how do you remain balanced in your career? Set aggressive goals and lay out a plan to achieve them. Yeah, I plan everything out. You know, regularly check in on your progress, and you got to adjust. You got you to adjust and change those goals over time. Uh, but those that leave their career up to chance, uh, I prefer to make my own luck with, uh, again, proper planning. First, I decided that there has to be at least one day a week where I am not tied to work. So I'll either pick a Saturday or a Sunday, and that's the day that I'm not going to do any work. And I think that's really valuable because it gives your brain a reset. So that, I think, taking like some time off somewhere makes a lot of sense. The other thing I do to maintain balance is I have recently gone into the whole smartwatch craze and I use it to help make sure that I move and that I get the appropriate amount of exercise every day, which I think when you're in a job that is largely tied to some computing device, it is very easy for you to sit for hours on end and it is very easy for you to forget that you need to be physically fit in order to be mentally fit and do your job well. Now, as you look at one of the most important leadership lessons that you've learned in your career. There's quite a few lessons over time there. You know, one is focus. You know, focus on the things that really matter. Too many times, especially in IT, you know, people try to accomplish everything, and then they end up doing everything just adequately. Focus on the things that really matter the most and knock those out of the park. you got to embrace change. You know, everything is changing, you know, especially in the, the digital era here. So you, you really have to be on the, the forefront of embracing it. I seek constant feedback and the feedback from you know, my team, my peers, leadership. But don't just seek the feedback. You have to act on it as well. Be decisive and walk the walk. Right? you got to get into the details when you need to. One of the leadership lessons I've learned that I think is incredibly important is the ability to say, I don't know, or I don't know and I'll find out, or 
I don't know until somebody else I need to find out <laughs> however that goes. But, you know, acknowledging what you know and what you don't know adds an incredible amount of credibility to who you are in your position and who you are as a person. Now, I'm going to say a dirty word here, meetings. How do you get the most out of meetings with your IT team? I think everybody has too many meetings. You know, for, for me, you know, I don't think there's a perfect approach, but what I do is clearly articulate what I want to achieve in the meeting. You know, is there an outcome that I'm, I'm looking for, or is it just information sharing? But just be very clear up front what we're trying to accomplish. And then you know, if you expect people to come prepared, you know, give them pre-work right, so that you can be productive. You know, too many times people invite everybody under the sun to a meeting. Only invite the people that really need to be there. And then if you get done early, just end. (laughs) There's no reason that you have to sit there through the course of the meeting and and try to fill time. Accomplish your goal and move on to the next thing. I think in order to get the most out of your meetings with your team is you should have an agenda, a very clear agenda, and stick to that agenda and stick to timelines around that. You should have a short period of talk time for, you know, what is new and upcoming that didn't exist on the agenda. And you should have very short meetings, if at all possible. I think we get over-meetinged. There's the meeting about the meeting. And really what we all need to be doing is figuring out who's on what task and if they need any help, and then moving onward. Not necessarily having a full-on report of everything that everybody's doing at every meeting. Just what are the roadblocks? How do we get over them? Now, how do you go about keeping your team inspired on a day-to-day basis? To inspire my team, I try to draw a clear link of their work to the company's success, right? And provide a culture where they're empowered to drive decisions and innovate, right? So that they can see their work driving success in the company itself. I think to keep your team inspired, you have to know what inspires each individual. So some people are inspired by always elevating their career. Other people want to just learn new skills and stay in the same job. Other people might be inspired by having a bit more flexibility in their work. So figuring out what motivates each individual and trying to make sure that they are leveraging their best skills. So you might need to rebalance work based on who has what talent and trying to make sure that you understand what motivates them and giving them that within their role. Because not everybody's different and not everybody can be managed the same way. One of my key learnings, you know, someone that has just had a newborn does not have the same goals as someone that just got out of university. And if you're trying to manage them the same way, it's not a good thing because they have different things they want out of their work at that particular moment in time. And you have certain things that you want out of it. So how do you match those two? And then we talked about personal failure early on in this podcast. How do you honor that failure? And conversely, how do you celebrate wins? Yeah, well, we're a test and learn culture. Uh, I talked a lot about design thinking. You know, failure is inevitable, especially in our industry. We're working with emerging technology, right? Not all of it's perfect. So we will see things that it doesn't work as intended. And it's not that those are complete failures, scrap it, start over. That's where you course correct. And we encourage our team members to ensure that they feel that they can fail and that they can course correct. Now, we all want to get to a positive outcome. That's why we're all in business, to drive positive outcomes. Uh, But we recognize that all the way from our, our leadership all the way down, where everybody is comfortable to, again, fail and course correct to drive to a success. How do you celebrate team wins is an interesting question because you could celebrate them different ways. But I think most people 
in a team want to be recognized to the team as having done something that was meaningful, that drove the ball forward. So I think a lot of that is just highlighting in your monthly meeting. So you don't necessarily have to give somebody a gift, although people do that. But I think just sharing that this is what some person did. It met our goal this way and it drove the ball forward this way. So basically what you're trying to do is share what the best practice was, who did it, what the best practice is, and that makes people feel really good that they understood what they were doing and that they can share that knowledge with people. So another, you know, the the interesting thing, particularly being in Silicon Valley, we have a lot of um, fail fast, uh, fail often style methodology. Now, I know that most of my traditional IT colleagues are not really interested in failing fast and failing often. But having said that, I think there's a tremendous amount that you can learn from failure. And I think if you as an organization say, okay, um, here's what happened, what can we learn from this, and how are we going to fix it, then that actually is a great way to help people feel good about sharing, okay, here's what happened, so that you don't have to figure out much later that there was an issue. You can actually look at it in the moment, make some decisions around it in the moment, and move on. And I think if you create that culture of listening and sharing and like brainstorming around like, okay, so what do we do next? Then you have a really healthy culture that celebrates successes, but doesn't penalize failure. And that's really what you're trying to get at. You're not trying to celebrate failure per se. You're trying to get over the concept of penalizing and say we can use this as a learning experience and jump off from there for whatever our next point is. Thanks to our guests and to you most of all for listening in today. If you haven't already, you can find seven more knowledge-packed episodes in this series on SoundCloud or at insights.samsung.com. I'm your host, Eric Qualman, challenging you to be a change agent within your organization. 